And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the things that your word says to us, that it says about us, and that it says for us. Father, thank you now. Open our eyes and open our hearts and our minds that as we spend these next few moments looking at this unit of Scripture that we've just read, that you would, by the very Spirit who wrote these words through John, that you would now open our eyes as well. Change us, Father, by your Spirit, through your Word. May we reflect what's stated in this passage, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our passage this morning, I don't know if you've noticed it, but there's a, there's a bit of a symmetry going on here. Um, our passage uh, begins and ends with something of the, of the reminder of the command to love. Look at verse 7. Let us love one another. Verse 11 uh, we also ought to love one another. So there's, there's the bookends. It begins and ends with a, a bit of a reminder of the command that we have to love others. And yet, our passage also begins and ends with a reminder of God's commitment, God's promise that we are loved. Verse 7, just the simple word, Beloved, he's just saying, hey, you loved ones, love one another. He repeats it again in verse 11. Beloved, uh, and then he adds to that, if God so loved us. So, so he's, he's writing to us, and he's navigating two broad principles here. And the broad principles are that we are God's well-loved children. That's a, that's a commitment that God has made. That's a promise that God has issued. And, and yet, it, 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 he also then, as God's well-loved children, reminds us of the command, the obligation that we have to love each other well. So, in between uh, the beginning and the end that, ha- that contains both uh, commands as well as promises, there are two very important explanations concerning love. These, and these, the middle part then focuses primarily upon the, the, the nature and the consistency and the reality of God's love. And, and as we grasp that, that helps to, helps to speak to how we are to love others. 
these, these obligations, I mean, these explanations in, in, in this section uh, highlight the love that God has for us, but they also highlight the love that God calls us to practice. Two things. Two things from this passage is, is by way of, of outline to kind of track through what we're going to cover for the next few moments. Uh, loving others, I would say it like this, loving others is an essential part of our relationship with God. Why? First of all, because God is the ultimate definer of love. Second, because God is the utmost demonstrator of love. So, in verses 7 and 8, we'll primarily see that God is the ultimate definer of love. And then in verses 9 and 10, we'll see that God is the utmost demonstrator of love. Look at the very tail end of verse 8. That's the best way to start this first point. God is the ultimate definer of love. Just one of the most simple, straightforward, and yet wonderfully complex statements in all of the Scripture. God is love. So, first of all, when we think about love, when we think about God, we, we put the two together and love is defined by God. Love has its source in God. Uh, and love takes its shape from God. Love is not God, but God is love. And part of what I mean by love is not God, but God is love, is love, God, God is not defined by our conceptions of what we think love consists of. I mean, it's important because you think even in the season of pandemic, and just the other day I had someone say to me, I, I, I don't see how a God of love could allow uh, a pandemic to sweep across the, the, the land. What, what, what really what that is revealing is that that person starts with love is, in fact, their conception of God, and then they define God by their own conception of what love is. And, 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 and love is not God, but God is love. God is the one who defines love. It, it oozes out of his very being. In fact, whatever it is that he does do, it is commensurate with, and it is sourced in, and it is shaped by the fact that his own DNA is that of love. The very essence of who he is consists of, 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 this, of this thing we call love. It, love colors and determines everything about God, everything else about God. God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, God is merciful, God is good, and, 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 and God, God is love, d- d- colors and defines every other description and definition of God. The other thing I think we should say about God is love is that uh, God is, is, is in a sense something about how it is that God loves. We have to make sure that we can, don't take our categories, our conceptions of love, and then impose, upon, uh, impose those upon God. Because for the most part, here's how you and I 
do love. This is how you and I think of love. We, we, we look around and we spot something lovely. And, 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 and as a result of spotting something we deem lovely, that, 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 that thing that we've spotted that is lovely, it quote-unquote creates a love within us. That's, that's not how God does love. Love is not just simply something that God occasionally do, does when he spots loveliness. No, God is love. Uh, God loves not because he spots something lovely and such loveliness, something outside of him, creates a love within him. No, God loves. It goes forth from within himself and it overflows and expresses itself Toward its object, regardless of the quote unquote loveliness of the thing loved. It's hard for us to build these categories, but think of our sin. Do you, do you realize that sometimes we'd like to collapse and minimize our sin and think, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal? I mean, it's. But do you realize that the ugliest thing in the universe? In, in terms of God's perspective, is sin. And we, we, it's hard for us to build a category for that. And maybe, maybe, maybe that is why there are viruses and pandemics and things that are, that are ugly to us and horrible to us because maybe they help picture something of what God sees when he sees sin. We, we see people suffering from a virus and we think, that's horrible, that's ugly. And God says, yeah, that's something similar. Now you have, a, now you have something of a category in, your, in mind as to what ugly is. Uh, and, and what you see is sickness as ugly, and it is. That's a symbol of how I see sin as ugly. In other words, God loves the unlovely. He loves sinners. God's love is not a response caused by, uh, well, hypothetical, caused by our loveliness. Uh, but but God loves the unlovely, and it is within God in his own being that, that creates and causes a love to flow toward that which is unlovely. And in fact, it is God's love that takes that which is unlovely and causes it to become lovely, creates a loveliness in it. God is love. The other thing we could say about that is, there is no lack of love within God. They go, why did God make the universe? Uh, and, the, and, a, and a really uh, common explanation for that is that he was in search of something. He was lonely and, and, and unloved, and, and there was a deprivation of love in his heart. And, and he thought, I'll, just, I'll make me some creatures that, that would respond back to me in love and, and that would love me. And, 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 and almost to paraphrase a, a line from a cheesy movie, um, you, you know, you, you complete me. In other words, and so as, as God made us and we loved God, that completed him. That, that's a, that, that's 
God looking for love because he was deprived of love did not motivate God to either create the universe or to rescue fallen sinful creatures. It was actually out of the abundant overflow and the, and the overreaching fullness of God's love within the members of the triune Godhead that motivated God to not create the world and rescue the world because he needed love, but, but because he had more love than he knew what to do with. And it overflowed out of the, the members of the Godhead toward that which is created. God is love. I say that because then stepping backwards into verse 7 and the first part of verse 8, beloved, let us love one another. So God is love, and, and now the command here, we're to love one another. And then he explains this, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So there's this simple, profound statement, God is love, and then there's the the command to love one another, and then there's the explanation as to the relationship between God as love and, and us now being a people who would be called to love one another. And I would explain it like this. First of all, explaining it negatively. The command here to love each other is not the conditions that we must meet before we could merit or before we could earn God's love. In other words, God's love is not a reward for us loving others so well. And yet, what our passage does remind us of is that is not to say that there is no connection between God loving us and us loving others. And verse 7 and the first part of verse 8 explains that. Whoever loves is, 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 has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. I mean, just that, that, is, that is a really, really important statement. On the one hand, it does not suggest that it is our initiatives of love for others that gets God to love us. On the other hand, what it is saying very importantly, very soberly, is it's saying that, that we, uh, that, the un, that the unearned and unmerited love of God that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ is not such that it leaves us in a heart posture or in a condition that does not care to love others well. It's really important to grasp the cause and effect here. Our love for others, as this passage teaches us, does not cause God to love us, does not create in God a love for us. God's love was created within his own being toward us. And that love of God for us causes us to be people who would seek to love others well. It creates in us fresh desires and dispositions and abilities to love others well. 
So love for others, it's not, it does, is not how we merit God's love. But our love for others is, in fact, a manifestation that God, of God's love for us. Secondly, our love for others does not earn God's love for us. And yet, our love for others is the evidence that God of God's love for us. You care less about loving people? I don't care if I love people or not. John says, then you haven't been born anew. John says, you don't care about loving other people? It's not on your radar? Then you are not in a relationship with God. You don't know God. Why? Because when God loves He redeems us. He causes us to be born again. He adopts us into his family. He lets us in on the the family uh, 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 line. Uh, and, and, And one big, huge aspect of being born again and being adopted into God's family is, is, is that salvation also entails being indwelt by the Spirit of God. God's love is now a part of the divine DNA that is placed inside of us. Thus, to belong to God is to have a new disposition and a whole new ability to love others well. To not just love as a response to loveliness, but like the very love of God, to love that which is otherwise unlovely, and it even seeks to create loveliness in the unlovely. Second thing I want to say briefly is that God, uh, because God is the ultimate definer of love, that's verses 7 through 8, but also that God is the utmost demonstrator of love. In other words, he, he takes the, uh, the, what, what would otherwise maybe just be conceptual things in verses 7 through 8, and, and he, he puts those into concrete descriptions uh, that God doesn't just love conceptually, but God loves concretely. And here's how he says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That was demonstrated, if you would. That God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we started this thing, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The comic strip, uh, Peanuts, Lioness is one of the main characters in that comic strip. And... uh, he said something very profound that I think can, uh, if we're not careful, can, can easily reflect our own sentiments. He said, uh, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Now, in other words, on the one hand, uh, all of us are okay with, I think for the most part, most of us are okay with. Some of us are maybe not okay with this, but, but most of us are okay with a general feeling of universal goodwill toward all people. Where the real challenge comes, in love, 
is at the point of demonstration, is at the point of concrete expression. We're good with a, a general sentiment of, I love all people everywhere at all times. But to truly be concretely loving toward actual, specific people. In fact, the ones that are particularly, particularly nearest to us in our lives. That's the real test. I can wax eloquently for a long time about how I generally love all people everywhere all the time. But you could throw out a name or two to me and catch me and go, oh, except for them. Except for them. And them too. And that one as well. Before you know it, my, my wonderful blanket statement about loving all people everywhere all the time, uh, boy, it has a whole bunch of asterisks behind it then. Except for, except for, except for. So, no, but... The kind of love that God is demonstrating. Look, 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 look. God loves the entire world. He loves all that he has made. And yet what we are discussing here is a a, a grade of love that God has, not just toward mankind universally in principle, but a special love for his special people. I've used this illustration before. I mean, because I think we can all differentiate categories of love I'm to love my neighbor. And so I'm to love all my neighbors. And yet when my wife asks me, do you love me? If I say to her, sure, I love you. I love all the ladies in the neighborhood. That's not what she's shooting for at that moment. And in fact, if that's what I say, there's going to be shooting. I'm going to be the uh, the bullseye, the object of some shooting here. I mean, she wants to. She, she's fine with me being loving toward every neighbor we have, but she wants to hear something unique and particular and special. There is something very specialized about God's love for His people. We are His bride. And there's two things I'd say quickly about it that I think there's much more we could say. There's much more even in, that this passage could say, but. But the the kind of love that God demonstrates toward his people is, first of all, a love that initiates. God's love for his people is not passive. It seeks out. It takes the initiative to provide what is needed. Verse 10 reminds us not that we love God. God didn't say, now look, I'm up here waiting, and as soon as you all get your act together and start loving me, I'm in. No, God doesn't wait for our responsive love. God initiates a love when we were not merely passive towards God's love, but actually um, anim- at enmity toward God. God, in a sense, was the first one to practice enemy love, love for his enemies. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. In fact, while we didn't love him, he loved us. This love that initiates it initiates the meeting of a need. It says there in verse 9 that we might live through him. In other words, we weren't alive when he started loving us. But he did what was necessary to to transfer us from death to life. He met that need. 
And that love that initiates, it circles around a sacrificial love that, he, that it sacrifices. It not only initiates, but it sacrifices. God sent his son, verse 9 reminds us. And then verse 10 builds upon that. God sent his son, not just to kind of hang out and say, what's up? But God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's very serious work. That had to occur for us to be the well-loved children of God. Something very costly. God, God sacrificed something most precious to him. He, he, he didn't say, uh, this is going to be dirty work. Uh, where's Moses or Abraham? I need you guys to take it. Where's a, where's a couple of angels? I'm going to dispatch down there and see if we can uh, solve this problem. No, God sent a member of his own being. Son. Very costly. Love is costly. If you and I love only those whom we estimate are loving us and filling up our empty love cup, and as they fill up our empty love cup, then we can, well, they scratch our back, we can scratch theirs. God loved us when we were unlovely. God loved us when we were not loving Him. And His Son was sent to be the, this is our big fancy word here, our propitiation. And really the backstory to what that word means, it's really a, a, a Old Testament rich word that describes what happened in the holy of holy place as the blood of the goat or the lamb was sprinkled upon the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. It starts with this, God is just. He upholds justice. And that's essential for him to be a God who upholds justice. God being just is an essential part of his character and his being. Now, now, before you might think, well, good, I'm glad God is just because I need him to get down here and handle a couple of injustices. Until we realize as we read further and deeper into our scriptures that we've all had a serious run-in with God and His law. And that leads to a serious response on God's part of justice. Our rebellion against God and His law requires a response of His justice, even the wrath of His justice. But that is where the picture of propitiation comes in. Jesus Christ becomes our propitiation, meaning He becomes that sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God's holy justice. He swaps it out and takes it in our place He who lived obediently and perfectly in the power of the Spirit, He became the sacrifice absorbing the justice of God's wrath in our place. And now for all who are trusting in Christ, it is no longer the justice of God's wrath that we meet. That's been fully satisfied and therefore fully abated from us. It is now the pure mercy of God that now flows un hindered and unceasing to all who are trusting in Christ.
Christ. It is this kind of love. A love that initiates. A love that sacrifices. That is the utmost demonstration from the God who is the ultimate definer of love. This is love. This is love. A love that delights to initiate love toward the unlovely and a love that delights to sacrifice that which is costly to itself so that the recipient of that love might be a beneficiary. This is love. Anything else, everything else is a cheap substitute, an ultimate knockoff of the pure, true love of God expressed in the person of His Son, Jesus. So as people who are loved with this kind of initiative and this kind of sacrifice, now we are reminded of what we're to do. As well-loved children, let us love each other well. Father, thank You for your love. Thank you for the perfect, flawless love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that now through faith we can turn to Christ, we can trust only in Him, and we can now bask in the love of God. And not just bask in the love of God as a reservoir of that love, but that we can now be changed and reflect And manifest that love as a conduit of God's love by His Spirit running not just to us and in us, but through us. For we pray this in Jesus' name.